Pauline, give me some of your tots. I ate his liver with some fava beans. Nice candy. Combo, pan fry, deep fry, stir fry. Yummy! Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Cooking Show. I'm your host, Bob, and this week it is cold, rainy, gray. It's fall. It's fall. So it's time to bake a cake. And it's a piece of cake to bake a pretty cake. <laughs> I'm not going to sing that song. But uh, so listen, in the uh, recipe for this week's episode, I will have a straightforward uh, chocolate cake recipe as well as like a buttercream frosting recipe. Uh, that is fine. And I'm mostly following these recipes, but, 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 but I wanted to add a little twist on this, throw a little English on it because I got, uh, I got a new toy last week. It's a, and listen, I got this for a completely separate reason. And after using it a couple of times, I was like, ah, I could incorporate this into the general, you know, into the cooking workflow for certain recipes or whatever. So that's what I did here. And the thing that I got was a distillation rig, you know, basically like this would be a distillation, uh, would be a condensing tower, I believe it's called. And this was mainly to distill essential oils from like our medicinal herbs and from things like uh, citrus zest and, and lavender and stuff like that. But in doing so, in making some lavender essential oils, orange oil, uh, stuff like that, I realized that this is a really good way to incorporate flavors that really, that like permeate a dish. You know what I mean? Like in, in this case, what I did was I distilled cacao shells, which uh, we'll talk about that too, as I made cocoa powder essentially for this chocolate cake using whole cacao beans. And that's a whole process too. You don't have to do any of this. You don't have to distill anything. You don't have to buy cacao beans on Amazon and roast them and peel them and pulverize them and all of these other things that I did. You don't have to do any of that. Uh, but I'm including that because it's fun and it was interesting and it made a really delicious uh, cake that I'm, listen, I'll be the first to admit, not the prettiest thing in the world. Kind of, it uh, part of it stuck to the bottom of the bunt pan. So whenever I turned it out, didn't come out super pretty. So I kind of had to sort of hide some of that with the buttercream, but that's fine because you know what? It tasted incredible. And a lot of times when you're cooking something or you're, you're, you're documenting it, it's like, okay, I'm trying to make this look good. I'm trying to, you know, illustrate what I did to produce this product or whatever. But man, so many times you're just thinking, I wish people could smell this. And I wish that you could smell this, man, the, the cacao beans, the whole process of processing the chocolate was like, I can't believe that this is something that just comes from a plant. Oh, there's, there's my three-legged cat making noise. Oh, you're going to sit up there? She's, sit, she's sitting in my co-host chair. Maybe she'll be a good girl. I don't know. Hopefully she can stay in here. Anyway, so yeah, let's let's talk about this. Check out the show notes. I got the, the recipe for the cake, for the frosting, all that. But I'll also have links to an essential oil distillation kit if you're inclined to try that. I'll have a link to the cacao beans. That's what it is. No, you got to stay off the table. Sit on the chair, but you can't get on the table. There we go. All right, so I'll have a link to the cacao beans. And, you know, we'll go through the, the process for processing chocolate. And then, uh, yeah, let me think. I don't I don't know. There might be, if I come up with anything else, I 
things like, you know, I used my grain mill again because I milled some of our wheat for the cake, food processor, all that kind of stuff. I might throw a pencil links in there, but let's talk about the cake recipe itself because it's super simple. If you are going to make this, we're using one and three quarter cups of all-purpose flour, three quarters of a cup of cocoa powder, unsweetened. I mean, we just want basic plain cocoa powder, one and a half teaspoons baking powder, one and a half teaspoons of baking soda, a teaspoon of salt, two cups of granulated sugar, two eggs, a cup of milk, half cup of vegetable oil, two teaspoons of vanilla extract, and you can use a cup of boiling water for this. And then uh, for the buttercream frosting, you can use four ounces of butter, two thirds of a cup of cocoa powder, three cups of powdered sugar, a third of a cup of milk, and a teaspoon of vanilla extract. I mean, basic buttercream frosting recipe. And if you're doing this, you sift together all the dry ingredients, mix together the wet ingredients, mix the wets into the dry, uh, whip that up into a batter, and then we're going to bake that 350 degrees for 30 to 35 minutes. I had to add uh, eight additional minutes to mine because I'll tell you about the substitutions on the uh, in the ingredients and why that extended the, the baking period. Number one, instead of using 100% all-purpose flour, what I used was roughly 50-50 all-purpose flour and then milled whole wheat. So that added a nice rustic sort of texture, you know, like a, you got a little bit of the wheat germ and the wheat berry in there uh, and the grittier flour. Very nice. The texture of this cake turned out similar to like a, um, a carrot cake or a spice cake. And it was kind of crumbly like that. And that's why, you know, it didn't come out of the bunt pan as easily and cleanly as it would have. If I used all, you know, regular flour, if I used regular sugar, all that kind of stuff, I'm sure it would have turned out fine. Um, but with the crumblier texture uh, from part of the flour component being whole wheat, you know, freshly milled. Also, instead of granulated sugar, I used our sorghum syrup that I made in last week's episode. I had commented about the sorghum syrup that it was, it was very sweet. It was very impressive how cleanly and the yield that came out of it, but it did have like that that sort of silage flavor to it, like a, like a, a verdant green flavor. So by adding that to a cake that had a lot of, you know, just pure chocolate in it, those flavors kind of mask the green flavor of the sorghum syrup. So you're just left with the sweetness more or less, but that is an additional like liquid component. So I had to add a little bit more all-purpose flour to make this so that the batter wasn't too thin, okay? So I used two cups of sorghum syrup in place of the two cups of granulated sugar. And then instead of vegetable oil, used avocado oil because, you know, it's a little better. And uh, instead of a cup of boiling water, um, because I was using the sorghum syrup that had the additional water content, uh, instead of using that, I just used like two tablespoons of what's called hydrosol. And we'll talk about that. That came from the distillation of the cocoa seed shells, the uh, cocoa, uh, yeah, the cacao shells. <laughs> All right. And that went into the buttercream frosting. Also, um, I used about you know, two or three tablespoons of espresso. So I omitted the cup of boiling water because I had a bunch of extra liquid added to the cake batter, um, and I used some espresso and the hydrosol uh, 
in place. But those are my substitutions. You can make this chocolate cake the way it is listed here, and it'll be a-okay. For the buttercream, you cream the butter with your hand mixer, beaters, in a bowl, and then slowly add some the, the confectioner's sugar and trickle in the milk and the vanilla extract, stuff like that, until you get this fluffy, creamy, smooth frosting that you can then apply to your, your cake when it is cooled, okay? But let's talk about uh, processing cacao beans because it's cool. It's really neat. It's simultaneously more steps in processing than what you think. Like the, the chocolate, whenever you learn that chocolate comes from these seeds of this tropical fruit and, you know, that they, they ferment them and they roast them and then they can make chocolate, you think, oh, okay, so they're roasted and they're grind like coffee, you know, like you grind it and then you have cocoa powder. And then anytime you've made chocolate, whether it's chocolate cake, chocolate cookies, uh, chocolates, like, you know, chocolate candy, you're adding things like sugar and milk and oil or whatever. And it, it seems pretty straightforward, but, 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 but the actual processing of the, the cacao beans is there's more to it than that. You know, like you, they come, they're already fermented whenever you buy them and they're most likely they're already roasted. So you don't have to do like a full roasting on them, but I did roast them 250 degrees, 275 degrees for, I believe 15 minutes mainly to warm them through and just give them a little extra color and darkness. But what happens is as they heat up, the, the shell expands a little bit and the, the inside, the, the nib also expands. But when it cools, the, the nib cools for more, it, it shrinks back to a smaller size than what it started with. And that separates it from the shell. So then whenever you crack them with your fingers, you can peel them with your fingernails, whatever, there's a little bit of space uh, in between the shell and the nib so you can get that shell off. Now, most of the time you just discard the shells. However, you can use those, you can keep those and you can brew them into a tea. I, I just watched a YouTube video about like uh, making chocolate confections in the 18th century. And they said that Martha Washington's favorite a hot beverage was a tea made from steeped cacao shells, not the nibs, but the shells get a little bit of that chocolate aroma. It's not sweet. Like chocolate is not sweet whatsoever. Super bitter, super dry and, uh, uh tannic, like it it sticks your tongue to the top, your, to the roof of your mouth. But, uh, you know, you can make a really aromatic tea, um, from those shells, but, uh, I kept those shells and I added them to uh, my distillation right actually we'll come back to the distillation because we're still processing chocolate at this point <laughs> so once you've peeled your cacao nibs and you collect them in a bowl or whatever you need to pulverize these break them up you don't have to grind them into powder by hand i put them in a mortar and i pestled them you know a mortar and pestle to, to break them into small chunks and then i transferred that into a food processor to grind them down Number one, as finely as possible in, in the food processor. But additionally, cacao nibs contain up to like 55% uh, fat content, cocoa butter. You know, basically, basically think about like how, how an avocado has a high fat content. Cacao nibs similarly have a high fat content. And as you pulse these and, and pulverize them in the uh, what you call it in the food processor? It's a function of both the heating that happens from the from the friction and from the, the agitation of the blade. It does increase the temperature, the physical temperature of the cocoa powder that's in there, and that causes the fat to render and melt out in, in your your 
cocoa powder basically turns into a sludge and this is called cocoa liqueur. You know, it's basically you've liquefied the, uh, the, the fat content of the cocoa nibs and it has saturated the dry ingredients. But in addition to the, the heat that is applied, there's also, it's almost like a, um, what is it called? Like a non-Newtonian solid, non-Newtonian liquid. I can't remember. Whenever you, when you mix cornstarch and water and it looks like a slurry, like a soup, but then if you slap it, if you hit it too hard, it, your, your hand doesn't actually penetrate the liquid and it just sort of like turns into a solid momentarily. I'm going back into the archives here. I think it was the original show, not the one hosted by Dean Cain, but the one hosted by Jack Palance. Ripley's Believe It or Not, I believe they covered something like this where there are churches around the world that have, it looks like an hourglass. It's basically a glass vial, usually in some sort of gilded decorative frame or whatever. And it appears that there's just some dry material in there, like just plastered against the glass. And it is purported to be the blood of a saint or of Jesus or somebody important or whatever. And during the service, the priest is, you know, rocking this thing back and forth, back and forth. And it starts off, I mean, it's completely dry. Nothing's even moving in the glass file. But after a few minutes of this or after a half hour or whatever, I don't know how long it takes, there is a reddish brown liquid sloshing around in this glass. And it's it's the motion. It's like ketchup is similar to this also. Ketchup can behave as a solid, you know, like where it, it won't move, it won't pour out of a bottle or whatever. But if you agitate it enough, you shake it, it will liquefy, it'll pour freely and similar things going on there. What that's happening with this like emulsion process or whatever, uh, just the, the vigorous motion of the cocoa it, it's powder at this point, but it hasn't had like the cocoa butter pressed out of it. So it's like whole cocoa being agitated by the food processor and it's warming it up and it's whipping it around and that fat is becoming viscous and, and leaking out of it to some extent and then mixing in. And you look at the pictures in the Imager album, it illustrates it perfectly. It like turns into almost like brownie mix in the food processor. Now uh, with commercial processing of cocoa, that chocolate liqueur, the cocoa liqueur, would then be pressed or alternatively rolled, like similar to similar to the way we talked about the cane rolling or the cane presses or cane rollers or whatever, where you have tens of thousands of pounds of pressure um, being able to be applied by this machine. They would do that with the with the cocoa liqueur, the chocolate liqueur, and press out the cocoa butter, leaving kind of a desiccated puck of snappy and solid chocolate, you know, compressed powder, which then, you know, after it has cooled and set and dried or whatever, and all that cocoa butter has been removed, then you can pulse that, grind it, uh, beat it down into a dry cocoa powder. We don't have the capacity to do that in the home kitchen, you know, so instead what I did was I did, I did agitate the cocoa powder until it was like semi-liquid like that. And then I fed it into or you know, spooned it into a cheese mold and used a cheese press to apply what I believe is a couple hundred pounds of pressure. You know, you're using five kilograms, you know, like a 10 pound weight more or less. But because of the multiplier of the lever, you know, that's 
it's multiplying that way to apply more force at the base of the cheese press. And we let that go overnight. And I ended up with this crumbly puck of cocoa powder, which then I, I pulsed down into loose powder in the food processor without taking it to the point where it was wet and sludgy again. And then we used that for both the buttercream frosting and uh, the cocoa component of this chocolate cake. Now, let's talk about the distillation rig. I don't know all the parts. I don't know all the parts to the condensation tower or the condensate tower or the condensing tower or whatever it's called. All I know is how it works. <laughs> you have, uh, what I have is a two liter bulb at the bottom and it has a flat bottom and that sits on a heat source. Into that bulb, you can add just plain water and that will heat up and it will boil. And into the top of that bulb, you put, it's a two liter bulb again, but it has an in, intake at the bottom and an outtake at the top. And the steam can flow through that. That's the thing that we put our material in. That's where we put the lavender sprigs and flowers. That's where we put the, the citrus zest. And that's where we put the cacao shells. We loaded that up. The steam comes up through the bottom and has little holes in the bottom. It's not open so that the, the stuff in there can't flow through because it's almost like a, um, like a screen. It's not a screen. It's just a block with a couple little holes in it. But the top is completely open. That goes into um, an arm that has a slight downward angle. And that feeds into the, uh, the spiral condensing tower and whatever. That has a spiral glass tube that runs down the middle. But then the outside of that, you could fill with water to keep it cool. So your hot steam goes up into the, the, the top and it kind of goes down this, uh, this descending angle glass arm. And then it's staying cool towards the end of that because there's cold water filling this tube. The steam condenses into liquid whenever it gets to the cooler end. And then it drips down through this glass spiral. And then it collects in a collector thingamajig at the bottom. Okay. And if you're doing something that has a lot of oil in it, yeah, there will be essential oils accumulated on the top of this water, this condensed, I mean, it was steam and it had oils suspended in it, and then it condenses. Um, most of it will be water, but then you'll get a film of oil on the top, and then you can collect that with a syringe, or you know, there are various methods. You, know, you can put coconut oil or some other carrier oil into it. That will absorb um, the, the oils in the water there and will separate from the water, and you can take it out, and then that oil will have the essence of whatever it is that you distilled. The water that accumulates in that um in that mile at the bottom is called hydrosol there are lots of volatile compounds flavor and aroma compounds and stuff like that that are water soluble and that are not in and of themselves oils and they will permeate that steam and they will condense out into uh the distillate i guess or is it the dist is that the distillate or the precipitate the precipitate would be the stuff that's dissolved like in a solution right and the distillate would be the condensed uh, product of the distillation i don't know i'm not a scientist i just I just make overly complicated chocolate cakes for the internet. I don't know what the right words are. <laughs> All right. But anyway, that, um, the hydrosol can be super aromatic and flavorful and stuff like that. So that's, that's what I was using. I got a couple of tablespoons of it. And what I did was when making the buttercream frosting, 
because I have a little bit of milk involved. And what I did was I used half and half because I was going to use, I was going to add this hydrosol to it so that the fat in the half and half, the milk and cream, the, the milk fat would absorb these flavors and aromas. And it would sort of make a chocolate infused liquid that I would be adding to the buttercream frosting, which then of course has a bunch of butter in it. So that would be a, a ready carrier. You know, it would basically, it would transport all these flavors readily from, from the frosting to your palate and whatever. So I used half and half because I'd be adding a little bit of water to the milk and that would thin it out. So if I, if I wanted the, the consistency of milk, use the half and half, dilute it with water and you're good to go. Similarly, adding the uh, cocoa powder that I made to the cake recipe. If you make this recipe and you use commercially produced cocoa powder and you use granulated sugar instead of sorghum syrup, all that kind of stuff, you're going to get a more traditionally chocolate chocolate cake. You know what I mean? My chocolate cake, the the texture, the color, uh, the flavor, it was it was similar to a spice cake, even though it didn't really have any of the spice cake ingredients. It's not like I put cinnamon or nutmeg or anything like that in there. It was mainly just the grassiness of the sorghum syrup, the the thinness of the batter, like the crumbly crumb of the cake because of the additional liquid, and the fact that my cocoa powder was very rustic. Uh, I got it as as fine as I could. I, I I passed it through a sieve, you know, just to break it up a little bit. But there were some little clumps of cocoa powder with that full cocoa butter fat in there, which, you know, dispersed throughout the cake and everything, but it didn't, it wasn't as fine as, you know, like a Hershey's or Ghirardelli or some type of, you know, off the shelf cocoa powder. But that said, this was fantastic. It was awesome. I don't even care that I lost, you know, a half inch of the top of the cake because it's stuck to the bottom of the bunt pan because the cake itself was crumblier, because it had whole wheat and sorghum syrup and all this nonsense. And then all that was secondary. The fact is, it was a, be it was a beautifully delicious cake that had uh, a depth and a subtlety of chocolate flavor that was just amazing. I, I, I loved it. Oh, 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 oh. Gotta mention this, because it's, it's weird, this like synchronicity of the universe. So I get this essential oils distillation kit last week. And... When I was using it the first time and setting it up, I recalled seeing, I don't remember where, that was it chef's table, something like that, I don't know. And I, again, I'm gonna say some words here that I've mostly only seen written and I haven't heard them pronounced, but the restaurant's called either Alinea or Alinea, not sure exactly, it's in Chicago. The chef is Grant Ashatz Akits. Again, don't know how to pronounce his name. But this is one of those places, very artsy presentation of a meal. Like you get this, uh, you want to you do like the tasting menu or you pay, I don't know, hundreds or thousands of dollars per, per person, more or less. And then you go through all these courses where you get this tiny little, very haute cuisine type of thing. I mean, this is like where they're, they're, they're foaming stuff. They're making fogs and you know they're weaving a, a tiny t-shirt out of seaweed or i don't know they're making all kinds of crazy stuff but the thing that they were doing for a while was this invisible pumpkin pie where they would distill pumpkin puree and all the spices and everything and take that hydrosol and add you know flavorless colorless gelatin to it so it was set up clear but it was infused with all the flavors of a pumpkin pie because when you distill that sloshy pumpkin puree and nutmeg and cinnamon and allspice, clove and all that stuff, 
the stuff that comes out of the other end of the of the still is crystal clear you know it's like none of that nothing that is a coloring agent you know a, a dissolved solid or anything like that is going to be transported by the steam and then recondensed so you're not going to get any of that in the in the end product but all those flavors that are water soluble are going to come out so you're going to get this water that smells like pumpkin pie and has a faint flavor of pumpkin pie and then if you turn it into a clear gelatin essentially it's cool it's very cool that you see that <laughs> so anyway i was thinking about that while i was setting up the rig i was like hey maybe i'll maybe i'll try this i'm probably not gonna do that that that's a little little ridiculous and i mean i like pumpkin pie kind of the way it is you know i don't want to mess with pumpkin pie but yesterday yesterday of all times four days four days after trying this the first time i see a post on on a facebook group of like michelin star chefs or something like that and it's alinea's or alinea's see-through pumpkin pie and i was like and everybody's like oh my god that's incredible how do you know how do you make it you know it's, it's a magic whatever and i'm like i know exactly how they make that and i can make that but i am so far i'm so galaxy brained on this that i don't even want to make it like i know the secret <laughs> no actually i just i really don't want to deal with the mess of cleaning up with this thing after after putting through gallons of pureed pumpkin and pumpkin water and all that nonsense it just sounds sounds disgusting but 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 that is the principle basically you're you're distilling the stuff or you're you're sending steam through the medium you're recollecting the condensed you know water at the end and it's going to have it's going to bring along a, a couple friends that have picked up along the way and you can put that to good use in you know in, in, in incorporating flavor at a level that isn't obvious to begin with like you're like wow there's this is very it's a very chocolatey cake but the chocolate goes it goes beyond just an abundance of chocolate it's like there's chocolate at every layer it's fantastic so uh check it out i mean like i said the recipe in here is a straight down the middle plain as day chocolate cake and uh you can dress it up or make it overly complicated or just do it exactly the way i did and it was it was fantastic so uh check that out check out the show notes if you want to buy some uh, fancy laboratory glass equipment yeah whatever <laughs> it's fun have fun with your food you know explore try different ways to do things and who knows you might invent the next best not next best thing the next big thing the next the next thing we're always looking for the next thing all right all right that's it for this week talk to you guys next week